All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick it 50. Thanks for being patient after a little bit of a delay of game today for those that are watching live on the YouTube or Twitter or other stream today. And it's great to be back after a couple of weeks away. Last week, both Todd McShay and I were down in Mobile, Alabama, watching the Senior Bowl up close and in person. Mel Kuyper, of course, tuned into the coverage throughout the week, which concluded with the game on Saturday, we're going to dive deep into the Senior Bowl and what we learned during that week. I am Field Yates, and of course, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay are here as well, and it was a great, great week down in Mobile, but it's great to be back with both of you. Mel, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Now I can hear everybody. We're ready to roll, and we got a lot, of, lot to talk about here <laughs> on in Mobile. You guys were there, and uh, yeah, a lot of players, Todd, uh, had a chance, had opportunities to improve their stock. And uh, you know, some of the guys that I liked as my favorites, Todd, weren't necessarily the highest-rated players, but guys that I thought stood out during the week. And also combine that, which was critical to everything. What you do in Mobile is important, but it has to combine with what you did during your career, and particularly this past season on the field at your respective schools. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you this, it's, it's my favorite week of, of the pre-draft process every year. Just it's the final time you get to see these guys actually playing football and, and it's one-on-ones and you take out all of the, the other factors, the, the schemes that they're playing in, the supporting cast that they have. And you get to see, and we talked about this a bunch, Field, cornerbacks versus wide receivers, tight ends versus safety, running backs versus linebackers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. You really get a a strong feel every single year. And I've been going for 24 years now. A strong feel at the end of the week. Who are the best guys there? Mm. Who are are the guys that just stood out? And every year there's about 7 to 10 that stand out as the guys that are either going to be first rounders or somewhere in that second round range. You did really feel like you were in your element last week, Todd. Spending the week with you, it was great to see Todd McShay sort of in his natural habitat. We had a blast down there in Mobile, Alabama. We're going to dive into these prospects, as we mentioned. Big thanks to Jim Nackey, who just does an incredible job organizing the event along with his staff. It really has become just an incredible week for everybody that attends, and it was great to be back with so many scouts, GMs, coaches, media members, there were thousands of people at every single practice, or at least it seemed that way. But the most important people there were, of course, the players. And Todd, you just mentioned how guys can every year sort of cement their stock or build their stock back up. So I'll start with you. Who was your favorite player that you saw on the field last week? Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner. And coming into the week, I I said that even before we started, and I, I was just so excited to see him in a quarterback group that you, you're the one who gave me this stat. In the last five years, there's been seven first-round quarterbacks in the Senior Bowl. That was not the case this year. But Jake Hayner just cemented himself as the QB1 of that group. And, and he did it throughout the week of practice. His confidence grew. The arm angles changed. The ball was coming out quickly. He was just confident with every decision that he made. And then he goes into the Senior Bowl game. I'm home sitting on the couch watching it. And I was like, that's my guy right there. You know, I just – every once in a while you just see something in a quarterback, in, in a player, 
that is different than everybody else you're watching. And that was Jake Hayner. He won the MVP of the Senior Bowl, and, and deservedly so. He was the MVP of the week for me. He was terrific, Mel. That much is for sure. And uh, we don't think any of the quarterbacks from this year's Senior Bowl are going to go in the first round. But I do think that Jake Hayner certainly helped his stock quite a bit this past week, especially in a league where quarterbacks with the non-prototypical stature are starting to become more and more commonplace. Who stood out for you, though, Mel? Yeah, Todd called it a stunt back when I did it in October. I had Dayon Henley in my top 25, and uh, yeah, he's worthy of being a consideration now even for that top 25, Todd. The kid at linebacker, think about versatility is what you need, okay? They're not phased out. If you're versatile, you're fast to the football, and you're tough. Dayon Henley was a wide receiver initially at Nevada. He had four interceptions there when he transitioned to linebacker. Four interceptions in 2021. Okay, 2022 he goes out at Washington State. 106 tackles, 12 tackles lost, four sacks, three forced fumbles. So he can cover. He's fast. He's athletic. He's perfect for the way the game's played right now in the National Football League. Deion Henley, to me, stood out at two schools, Nevada, Washington State, and certainly down in Mobile. He's a guy that I think deserves serious second-round consideration come late April. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Mel. You're not often right, but when you are, I, I can admit it. I'll, like, in coverage, that's where he really jumped out to me. You know, those one-on-one running back versus linebacker drills, they are built for the running back to win that drill. And he was the only linebacker that shut down the running back, didn't matter which back it was coming out of the backfield, every single time. He has instincts. He has length. He's fast. He closes in a flash. He's a really good football player. You know, it didn't feel like there was a player that was down in Mobile this year that was clearly, like, the highest-rated player on the board that was going to go in the top five no matter what. Maybe Will Levis would have been that player, at least maybe the top ten. If he he had wound up attending the bowl game, he was not there uh, to represent Kentucky. But I think there are always going to be a handful of surprises, especially in a year like this year where – there wasn't that, again, that alpha prospect relative to the rest of the field. So, Todd, who was that surprise prospect or surprise aspect of the game for you this week? Yeah, two-lane running back Tajay Spears had an, an amazing week. And I'll give Lewis Riddick a lot of credit. He, he covered one of their games earlier in the season. He told us coming into the week, you got to keep an eye on Spears, and he was dead right. This guy, the, the one cut and go, then the ability to, to make multiple cuts – the elusiveness that he has, the twitch that he has. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry this past season with 19 touchdowns. And he's not the biggest back. He's like 5'9 and a half. 204 pounds is what he checked in in Mobile. But he runs with good lower body strength and contact balance. So it's not just, you know, the, the speed and the twitch. It's a little bit of power and breaking some tackles too. Caught the ball pretty well. The only thing I saw down the field, struggled a little bit to kind of adjust and track the ball over his shoulder. But other than that, he was the most impressive running back. I think he's going to be a day two draft pick in a really good class. You know, that starts with B. John Robinson from from Texas, who's going to be a first round draft pick. So uh, I'm excited to see where he goes, the system that he's in and the impact that he can make as a rookie and then moving forward. But Spears, to me, was the biggest surprise of all the players in Mobile this past week. Mel, you've got a defensive player who was your biggest surprise. Who was that? 
Well, corners, you need cover guys in the National Football League, uh, Field and Tide, and, and uh, multiple cover guys with all these different teams. And certainly Darius Rush at South Carolina, playing in the SEC, he had with seven pass breakups in 2021. Overlook coming into the year, you saw him, but you weren't excited necessarily. And this year he has a couple picks, five pass breakups. But in Mobile, he was plastered to those receivers. His route recognition, his awareness, the way he closed, the way he was smooth in his turn, everything he did, he was on point. He brought his A-plus game to Mobile. So Darius Rush, South Carolina, with his length and the way he performed there in conjunction with obviously makes you go back to the tape and study him a lot more closely than you maybe you did when you maybe overlooked him or underestimated what type of talent he is. So when you talk about a guy, Tariq Woolen dropped with the fifth round last year after being a guy we thought was on the rise, still dropped to the fifth round. It'll be interesting to see come late April where Darius Rush falls in at 6'2", with the kind of length he has, he's got the ball skills, and that weekend mobile forces you back to the tape forces you back to talk to those coaches of South Carolina and maybe adjust your rating a bit. But I think it's going to be fun to see where he comes off the board based on the week he had in Mobile. And Mel, can I ask you a question about that just to follow up? You know, you talk about how one week can make you go back to the tape. What's the balancing act there? Because on the one hand, you study this guy where it matters most, playing games on the field within the structure and the system of South Carolina – how do you balance not overreacting too much in the senior bowl, but also giving it the proper credence that it deserves? That's the tough part, Field, and it's tough on both ends. And so there's a guy who's a, a, a questionable week, a disappointing week. We're going to get to that in a minute, where there's a pass rusher, like a Derek Hall from Auburn. I love the kid. Love the way he played at Auburn. Not excited about what I saw, and you guys were there. I'm watching. The, I didn't see it. So, again, you're not going to overreact to two, three days of practice when a kid had a heck of a career. So how do you factor that in? But certainly when you get a guy who steal, steals the show, but you weren't necessarily as high on him during the year or during his career, Balancing that in and factoring that in is very difficult. That's why this is certainly not an exact science evaluating players. As I said, I brought up Tariq Woolen because we were all excited about his potential and what he could be in the NFL based on talent. And he drops all the way to day three when a lot of people thought and these mock drafts could be late one, maybe early two. So again, you never know. That's why I think Darius Rush, I know my eye will be on him when we get into, say, day two of the draft and even maybe into day three if he's still on the board. I do think also, by the way, that Tariq Willen landed in the perfect spot, right? I mean, he does a prototypical Seahawks cornerback. Not saying he's not a great prospect, but I'm not sure he thrives elsewhere in the way that he did in Seattle. Todd, I'll ask you this as a follow-up as well. Uh, having spent the week down there in Mobile, and you obviously go and travel in college, college uh, follow and cover college football games during the season, what are some of the aspects that you can gather up close that you're not able to gather on film that can influence your evaluation going into April? Standing next to guys, just seeing, you know, their, their body type. Cause on tape, it's, it's hard to kind of factor that in. And, and the, you know, the heights, weights and the projected speed are never the same when you get to the senior bowl and the combine. Then also watching the coaching. I love watching the coaching and we have a unique opportunity. And I, and I, I, we're standing there listening in our earpieces to what the coaches are saying the tweaks that they're making and the, and the little things that they're telling these guys to do and, and seeing, do they adjust? Do they pick up on coaching quickly? Those are some of the things that I, that I always pick up on. Yes, yeah, sir. It was, certainly was great to see all, hear all those coaches down on the field. Special thanks to Luke Getze, the Bears offensive coordinator, Charles London, who last week was the Falcons quarterbacks coach. Now he's in Tennessee in an elevated role, including the passing game coordinator title. So, he parlayed that excellent week in Mobile into a bigger job and hopefully a bigger pay raise for his 
for his sake as well. <laughs> also had, uh, let's see, we had DeMarcus Covington for the Patriots as defensive coordinator. And then on the other side of the ball, we had Patrick Graham as the head coach for the national team. He did an awesome job. He, of course, is normally the Raiders defense coordinator. We had uh, Ronald Curry, who is currently with the Saints, although there's some interest in him elsewhere. Amongst the co- There are all kinds of coaches that were mic'd up last week. It was great to see them all up close and person in person, I should say. So a fun, fun week down in Mobile. Uh, Mel, you teased it a moment ago, the biggest disappointment of the week. Who was the player that was most disappointing in your eyes? I'd benefit from being there. I can go back and watch a guy immediately after you see something in Mobile. Todd's sure. out having fun, out having love, a big steak somewhere. And, and I've been looking at, at Blake Freeland, going back to Blake Freeland at NYU. And Blake Freeland had some struggles in practice. He'd say, okay, what did I miss here? Was I too high on Blake Freeland? Am I going to overreact to a couple of the opportunities in practice that didn't go his way? Same thing for Orion Hayes at Michigan. Kind of struggled during the week. But Freeland is the one I want to highlight at BYU because the athleticism is there. There's no doubt about it. This kid showed at BYU. You, he can get it done. Now, in the NFL, when there's power and there's speed and there's quickness and athletic, you got it all going. That's where I think he needs to get stronger in that weight room. And certainly, uh, I think that the week of practice in Mobile didn't help his cause to be that solid second-round pick that I thought maybe he could before that week began. But, again, you could be looking at a third or fourth rounder who, when he's coached properly, gets in that weight room. All of a sudden, now everything comes together for kid who certainly has the size and the athleticism to be a guy who can be a bookend and a National Football League, but I think he showed in Mobile he's got some work to do in the weight room. How about you, Todd? Was there a player that disappointed most? I wouldn't say a player as much as a position group. The quarterbacks, to me, yeah. and, and I, I highlighted Jake Hayner from Fresno State come, you know, at the top of the show, but other than that, the other five quarterbacks, I, let's just say underwhelming, okay? Yeah. And if you're Jim Nagy, you're the executive director of the Senior Bowl, it's almost an impossible job every year. And I know, as you said before, seven quarterbacks went in the first round from the last five senior bowls. So he's done as good a job as you can possibly do. But when Will Levis from Kentucky, one of the probably four first rounders from this class, decides not to come play in the game, you look at the other guys. Bryce Young, underclassman, can't play in it. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, can't play in it. Anthony Richardson, underclassman, Florida, can't play in it. Hendon Hooker was there from Tennessee, but coming off the ACL injury. So those are the top five quarterbacks, and none of them were either capable or chose to play in this game. And so now you get down to Jake Hayner, and then a bunch of other guys that came out and they competed, they did the best they could. I'm not even going to mention names because it's not worth it, but this is the first time I can remember saying – the wide receivers didn't get an, a great opportunity because the quarterback play was not as good as it should be. And if you look back at those seven quarterbacks that went to the Senior Bowl and then were drafted in the first round, in the case of maybe every single one of them, they were either late bloomers or guys who were just stuck behind yes. other stars, right? I mean, Mac Jones didn't start at Alabama until late in his career because he had Tua in front of him, right? It's not like these are scrub prospects. It's just that some places have five stars after five stars after five stars. And you got other guys like mm-hmm. Josh Allen, who, of course, smaller school in Wyoming. Baker Mayfield, who was kind of a late bloomer at the college level. Daniel Jones, who played at Duke, which is obviously a well-known school, but not exactly a football powerhouse. So it's kind of like the perfectly imperfect storm of factors that tend to lead the top quarterbacks to not necessarily be available because they can't miss guys almost always declare early for the draft. Mel, what would you say was your take on the quarterback class? We can sort of do this in the non-Jake Hayner division from the Senior Bowl. 
Yeah, you didn't expect a lot uh, because, like Todd was talking about, some of the elite guys could not be down there. But just uh, you know, kind of the best of the worst is what you looked at with some of the guys who maybe stood out of that group. Uh, you know, backup quarterbacks at best, uh, day three guys. Maybe Jake Hayner gets into that third, fourth round discussion. But certainly uh, that impacts everything else. But the overall talent in this draft, I think we saw it down there, it's not up to past standards. It's not last year's draft. is If that's an eight or a nine, this is a four or five. So there's a huge difference. The guy Guys that were second rounds last year, okay, you look at then this year's draft, you know, where would they be? They'd be higher. Guys were fourth rounders would be a lot higher. This year would be pushed up. So, again, you can get a guy, I think last year, guys, in the fourth, fifth round will be better than some of the second, third rounders this year. So last year's draft, head and shoulders above this year's in terms of overall talent. A lot of past drafts better than this year's. You could argue one of the worst drafts we've seen in a while will be this year. And I said this a couple weeks ago. If you look back three years from now to this draft and you got an A grade or a B, B-plus grade, I'd give all my scouts a significant raise. How about that? Well, I think all the scouts kind of... And, and right field, field. Remember, remember that graphic we had all week? Yeah. 106 players each of the last two seasons, two seasons coming from the Senior Bowl. Six first-rounders. I don't know about you, Mel, but I didn't see six first-rounders there. And I don't know that there are going to be 106 guys drafted from the senior bowl. And it's, again, it's not a, like Jim Nagy and the, the, his scouting staff, they can't create players. They just bring in the best that are available, that are seniors that, you know, that fit the, the criteria. Right. So it, it, I think it's going to be a little bit of a drop off from, from the past couple of years, as Mel was saying. Yeah, it sure does feel like that. And I think that some NFL teams already kind of anticipated uh, that this could be a down draft relative to other drafts. It's hard to know everything one year out, but you see that there are teams that are light on draft capital this year, at least at the top of the board, like as an example. Mm-hmm. San Francisco or Denver, and certainly you love to have as many draft picks as possible, but it may not be as impactful this year to be light on draft picks as it would be in other years. I don't want to quite move on from the quarterbacks yet, Todd, because I do want to ask you about a couple of guys there, at least, at least one specifically, because it feels like with this class, it's not going to be which of these players are going to be a longtime starter. It's going to be kind of what box do you want to check. And it feels like of the quarterbacks, and I would throw Jake Hayner into this mix as well. You had some interesting traits guys right and I don't know what he's going to become at the NFL level but probably the most tantalizing physical trait that we saw amongst the quarterbacks last week was Malik Cunningham's movement skills right he was maybe the best athlete or one of the best athletes on the field what's the outlook for somebody like Malik Cunningham at the NFL level yeah I I think he's a late round pick and you bring him in and and you hope he competes well in, in training camp and continues to develop as a passer I mean, that's, that's really where he's, he's not up to snuff with all these other first-rounders that we were talking about. But from an athletic standpoint, I mean, he can come in and he can create. So, to me, I like having a number two or number three quarterback who can come in and, and utilize his mobility and do something maybe different or a little bit more unique or special than, than your starting quarterback if that starter happens to go down. So, I think he's going to get a shot. We. You're seeing mobility more and more at the NFL level. Max Duggan was another guy. I mean, he, he's, he's more of a tough runner. He's got decent speed. He's not nearly as fast as Malik. But he, he is an instinctive, tough runner who was highly effective running the football, RPOs, design run, all, all those, those sorts of things that you ask from a quarterback at the college level that we're starting to see a little bit more of. So those were the two guys to me that kind of stood out in – a little bit different ways. I thought Duggan 
really improved as, as the week went on. We talked about on Thursday, the last day of practice, how good of a job he did in the, in the two-minute drill, some of the, you know, the goal line situations. He, he seemed to gain confidence and, and just become Max Duggan again. Uh, but Malik Cunningham, he, interesting to watch. When the play breaks down, that's where he's at his best. It does feel like right now in the NFL, because of all the quarterbacks that are such supreme athletes, there is some value potentially in trying to develop one of these guys that are such rare athletes themselves. And if nothing else, Malik Cunningham is like one of the best scout team quarterbacks you would have when you have a week in which you're playing the Baltimore Ravens or you're playing against one of these teams with a freak athlete at quarterback, Josh Allen, or one of these just... Jalen Hurts, these Jalen guys Hurts. absolutely yep. crush you with their legs. It's hard to simulate that otherwise. Uh, Mel, we're going to move forward to our sort of spicy slash hot take section of the show, and you kind of forecasted it earlier, so I'll ask you sort of a spinoff of the question. You mentioned how this is not a great draft. You sort of described it on a 1-10 to 10 scale as more of a 4 as opposed to like an 8 or a 9 in 2022. You've been doing this forever. You're the godfather of the NFL draft. How often do you have one of these classes? Like, does this stack up as, like, one of the worst drafts you can recall? I know we're still two and a half months away from the proceedings beginning, but how long ago do you recall a draft having this little sort of general talent in your estimation? I'll let you know that after the combine field, because once those numbers are in and you see where these guys stack up physically and athletically, we're kind of estimating right now on a lot of guys and guesstimating what they may be. But once the combine numbers are in, the pro days are over, and we get those grades, and I struggle to get 80. I struggle to get to 80. Normally at a 125, 130 easily. And Todd can chime in whether he had trouble there as well. I got to 80 barely. And what I do is compare the players I'm giving a grade to to last year and the year prior, and I'm looking at those numbers. I can't give him that grade because I gave him that, this grade. He's not even close. So then yep. you start doing the numbers, and they, like I say, you get the 70, 75 players. And the, also the other thing, Todd, is what surprises me is the players now that are opting to leave Mobile and go home. Okay, they have a day of practice, a couple days of practice, and they're out of there. They're not staying for the game. And the game always showed. Now, a lot of scouts back in the day would stay for the game because they felt, let's watch these guys in pregame. Let's see who actually doesn't just practice well, who plays well. Now, a lot of these guys, I mean, you're talking about a load of players. I mean, I had a whole sheet of players that were gone. Some guys opted not to come, but then how about the guys that were there and then left? And without any repercussions, you can't downgrade them. You can't lower their grade because of that. You know, you say, well, if you don't work out the combine, it's a knock one, and it became no knock on a player, okay, because then you got the pro day. Now they're leaving. I, I don't remember, Todd, the numbers of players leaving Mobile this year as opposed to last year. I think the numbers this year may have been record high in terms of guys that opted not to play in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're in a different world right now, right? NIL yeah. deals, transfer portal, you know, there's a lot to get into, and it's not even worth it right now. But, but to, to go back to your point, I had a very prominent head coach call me and, and, and give me the business on, on a player who I had going in my mock draft <laughs> just a, a few weeks ago, right? And I, I, I said, I've got a second-round grade on him, Coach, because he, he said, I've talked to, what do you say, uh, 28 different teams, and they have, have second-round second or third-round grades on him. I said, I have a second-round grade on that player, too, but there's only first, uh, 14 first-rounders that I have right now. So, like, someone's got to go in the mock draft beyond the 14th pick. And that, that kind of feeds into your point that, yeah, this year's class isn't great. But on the, on the positive side, the top of the draft is going to be fascinating. Mm. And we talked about it all week. Chicago sitting at one. They're trading out. They're going to take a quarterback, stick it home, and take a defensive player, Will Anderson from Alabama or Jalen Carter from, from Georgia. 
And if they trade out, you've got Indy sitting at four. You've got Las Vegas. You've got a bunch of teams. We, we went through, I think Tannenbaum and I went through like nine or ten different teams that potentially could trade up to that number one spot for the quarterbacks. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson. So, yet last year, we were struggling to get a guy at the quarterback spot in the first round. Kenny Pickett was the only one. This year, likely going to be four quarterbacks going round one. So, Mel, just to, to close the, the loop again on this, on this take, you guys have kind of each taken a different direction here. But if this is not considered a great draft, uh, and you recall other drafts that did not, going into the proceedings, look like great drafts, did any of them end up, like, surprising you? Right? Were there drafts that you thought, going into it, hey, this, this doesn't feel like a great draft, and then five years later, it's like, okay, well, nine guys slipped through the cracks and went on to become consistent Pro Bowl players. Are there examples of that, or do you feel like in previous instances where the excitement has been lower, it has resulted in maybe not a successful draft? Yeah. Sometimes you feel like a walking contradiction in the field because you can bash a draft and then say you could still come out of this draft with a heck of a lot of talent. And I say it because there's going to be, and Todd, chime in as well, there's going to be a lot of mixed opinion. Teams will have a second-round grade on somebody. The teams might have a free agent grade on. And there's going to be a wide range of opinion on a lot of these players, which means that if you scout well or you get into, say, the fifth round and somebody says, well, I'll give you a four next year, you give them the four. Okay, there'll be some teams looking to do that, even though it's a, we can say it's not a good draft. But some teams may be looking to do that. Some teams may want to bail. They get to the end of their list, and their guys are gone. They're in the fifth round. My guys are gone. I'm getting the heck out of there. I don't. I'd rather have a fifth rounder next year for a six or a six for a seven. Okay. By the same token, if guys that you like are still in that eighty. Normally, you get through seven rounds with 120, 125. There's still guys left to sign as free agents. If you see in that 80, you still got a couple guys left in the sixth, seventh round. Maybe it just works out that way. So for me, you could still have an A draft or a draft that's as good as last year's or the year prior or whatever, even though on paper it looks like a weak draft if guys slide through the cracks that you like, Todd. So it depends how this thing plays out. We'll wait till the combine pro days are over. But teams that, like I say, if you have quality scout, this is where you earn your money as a scout. And I think you deserve a raise if you do well this year. It's that challenging. Mm -hmm. But to say that everybody's going to be disappointed with the guys they get in this draft, and this draft isn't going to benefit you next year, is completely wrong. Mm. But Because you can still have a good draft in what appears to be a bad draft on paper. Right. Yeah, well, it's uh, this is part of the hard, uh, part, one of the hardest parts of the job that each of you men have is that uh, how we size up a draft going into it could look very different three years down the road or five years down the road or maybe even a decade down the road. Let's get back to our hot, spicy takes from the Senior Bowl. And, Todd, there was a wide receiver that you believe beefed up his draft stock in a major way. Who was it? Yeah, Phil. Jaden Reed, the Michigan State wide receiver. He's five nine and a half. It's two hundred and what? Two hundred and no, one hundred and ninety one pounds. And every scout I talked to said, because I like him on tape, and he gets vertical, and I like the way he releases off the line of scrimmage. But I, every scout I've talked to said, we're just worried about his speed. Then he comes out on the first day of practice and, and has on the zebra technology where they they track the miles per hour. He was the fastest player at 20.03 miles per hour. So to see that speed on the field and to watch him with all the other wide receivers, to see his release off the line, the way he tracked the ball vertically, the confidence with his hands when the ball was in the air. I, I, I don't know that Jaden Reed gets out of the second round, Mel. And coming into the week, and this is where, yeah, I've, I've got to, I love the tape. I trusted some, some advice from scouts on, on the lack of speed. 
they were wrong, and maybe his 40 times not going to be great, but I'd much rather have him have great play speed with pads on when it matters than have a, a great 40 time at the combine. So I don't think he gets out of the second round. And I had him at 17 overall in my wide receivers coming into the week. Sounds like that'll change going uh, into the I would the agree with month. you, Todd. Go ahead, go ahead, Mel. Yeah, I would agree with what Todd's saying. I don't know if Todd will push him up in the terms of the mock as we do the first round mock. We do a three-round mock down the road. You're talking second round for Jaden Reed. But I do a top 10 list of position players as you do, Todd. And I had him in as one of the top 10 return men based on what he did earlier in his career. So you're talking about a guy who's got yep. return skills and showed even in 2021 how dynamic he can be as well as the times this year. So for Jaden Reed, there's no question. I think second round, Tank Dell, another one, a uh, receiver who's going to do some things in the return game. So when you combine what you do as a receiver with the return skills in that punt return game, even the kick return game, punt return more obviously important than kick return right now. But uh, the return skills, I think, will help Jaden Reed in the evaluation process become, I think, a solid mid to late second rounder. All right, we'll keep our eyes on how these things shake out over the next few weeks because maybe there is a mock draft coming around the corner. We'll talk about that in just a moment from one of the two of you. Always like a little tease. Of course, every mock draft will be Uh, accompanied by a mock draft TV special as well. The three of us will talk through the 32 picks. Uh, I think we kind of dove into one of Mel's big takeaways from the week, which is that the top players are not there and are not staying as long as they normally did. Anything else to add on that takeaway, Mel, uh, as we move on from the Senior Bowl into the next phase of the pre-draft process, which before you know it, the NFL Combine will be here. Yeah, the guys that do stay and do produce, and I think you look at a guy like Thomas Incoom from Central Michigan, he just has a knack for getting after the quarterback. Uh, that's what he has, that it factor, that knack to, for doing something and getting after quarterbacks so critical. And we've seen pass rushers, Todd, last, Matt Judon, you know, a number of pass rushers have dropped into the uh, day three, late day three. So uh, Incoom is a guy highlighted during the year on ESPN.com when we do our under the radar guys. You know, but then you see an Andre Carter, the second out of Army. Yeah, he's got some things he needs to work on to be able to transition from the collegiate level to the pro level and be a guy who can get you maybe seven, eight, ten sacks a year. So guys that we thought would be highly rated, maybe getting after the quarterback, didn't showcase those skills like we had thought. Some others that are a little underrated. I want to see where Incoom comes off the board, Todd. Love the kid at Central Michigan. Like what I saw down there. Uh, where do you think? I'm thinking maybe four to six, five to six. He could be a pass rusher. Somebody steals on day three. Yeah, I would agree. He's, he's going to be somewhere, I think, early on day three. All right, so how about you, Todd? What was your best, biggest takeaway from the week down in Mobile? I know it's not very sexy, but, but this might be the best offensive line group that I've ever seen in Mobile. And, and it started with three guys, in my opinion. Osiris Torrance from, from Florida, Louisiana transfer who came in, and, and I just wondered, all right, he's now moving to the SEC for his final year. Billy Napier, the head coach, who was his head coach at Louisiana. He comes in and was dominant. Didn't give up a sack, dominant in the run game, and he proved it down in Mobile. And part of the reason why these pass rushers didn't have a great week, they were going up against really strong offensive linemen all week long. Um, the second one, uh, uh, John Michael Schmitz. The, he's probably going to be the top offensive center that comes off the board. He had a really strong week, balanced strong hands, just knows what he's doing, a veteran four-year player. He, he just understands the game. He's smart. He takes the right angles. And then finally, uh, Darnell Wright, offensive tackle from Tennessee. I had a day two grade on him. Mel, I don't know that he gets out of the, the first round. Mm. After 
you know, his tape is really good. And watching him this past week, he was dominant in almost every single drill going up against guys like Derek Hall and, and different players. He's a, he, he's a darn good football player. Those are three guys that could go in the first, maybe early in the second. But there were a whole bunch of offensive linemen that stood out all week long. Yeah, now let me say this real quick, guys, and, I, and I'm with you on, on right. I think he could be a borderline late first, early second. But I think the, the most intriguing prospect, and I heard Lou Louis Riddick, our good friend Lou, say, hey, I see a comparison, and I hate comps, but he compared Keanu Benton to Chris Jones. Yep. And when you hear, though, that those lofty expectations for a guy who didn't necessarily produce on the field at Wisconsin, dominant performance after dominant performance. But as the year went along this year, he got better. He started to get some sacks, was more disruptive, okay? We know he's got the talent. You know, there's no question Keanu Benton's got first-round talent. He played at times, I thought, like a third-rounder. And maybe last yeah. year, you know, we had Leo Chanel, you had Jack Sanborn. Now when you're the guy, all of a sudden, I thought he became more disruptive. So he's a guy people may roll the dice on a little earlier, and he may get into, I think he's, Chris Jones went early second round. Why did mm-hmm. he drop, why, why was he a top five pick in the first well, he, round? He had, he okay, had there, there was questions. some off-the-field stuff. That, right. Right, and, and in terms of Benton, the lack of dominant production week in and week yes. out where he didn't just jump out at you. He wasn't wreaking havoc, okay? He wasn't dominant, like I say, a performer at the collegiate level against, that's what I talk about, AOGs, another occupation, guys, wasn't just a guy who jumped off the, <laughs> the, the tape at you, off the screen at you. He didn't do that. So I think Keanu Benton, though, if you talk about who could get a little overdrafted based on a defensive line coach saying, get him, I can make Keanu Benton a heck of a disruptor, and I can move him around like they do with Chris Jones, okay? So does he get out of the late first, into the early second, like Chris Jones went for Keanu Benton? That's mm-hmm. something to keep a real close eye on, like I say, come late April. And back to that balance, right? you got to find that balance between what these guys showed over the course mm-hmm. of their career at their respective colleges and then what they showed in a five-day week down in Mobile. All right, we mentioned we have a mock draft coming around the corner. That is Todd McShay's Mock Draft 2.0. It drops next Wednesday. So we've got a full week until it drops. And, Todd, not only do I expect that you probably still have a lot of fine-tuning to do on this mock draft, but our bosses would hate it if we gave away the full mock draft a week in advance. So I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. Just, and I don't want too much. Just give me the nitty-gritty, okay. not much more than that. But what's the hardest part about this mock draft compared to the first one that you did earlier this year? This one, I'm going to have a trade in it. So I'm going to get Kuiper going. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a, a trade in the first round. I'm not going to tell you exactly where it is, but you, you might be able to guess it. Okay. And, and that will mix things up. And, and then where the quarterbacks fall. I mean, that's always the biggest thing. Yeah. Plus, okay. you get, I mentioned before, too, you've got, you've got two elite defensive linemen. If a team does move out of maybe one of the top spots, how far back are you willing to move in case you, you might not be able to get one of the two defensive linemen, and Will Anderson, the edge rusher from, from Alabama, and Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia. You know, uh, Todd, I was going to ask you a couple more questions about this mock draft, including what would the Bears do? Would there be any trades? And you told us there would be some trades, and you didn't want to reveal which team it would involve, but my antenna is already up for the Bears. So I'm going to leave it right there. We'll find out, all of us together, next Wednesday. On I say ESPN. nothing. Yep, you're playing the fifth right now. So mm-hmm. we'll wrap up the show today. And we're back with uh, a segment that we really loved last year on First Draft. It's Mel has gone off script where we just give Mel the mic and let him take it away. Mel, the floor is yours. 
misrepresenting the truth. I hear McShane mention my name one time in Mobile. I'm watching. He's like, I, my, my buddy Mel Kiper is not as high on Bryce Young as, as I am. Why? I, I said, I'm yes. telling you, I'm waiting for the wait. I said, if he's 195 or higher, he becomes QB1. If he's oh, 180, goodness. 185, he's QB2. I've you are the greatest bet hedger Be patient. in the history of gamblers. The best bet hedger ever. I love it. It's great. It makes it fun. But go ahead. Explain, explain your what segment. you're talking about. Explain what you're talking about first. Explain I'm what you're talking you're about. I'm saying you're always playing the, ang- playing the angles. You know? Just say, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm still evaluating the tape. I'm still talking. I'm going to try to find out. But like 195 yeah. is your cutoff? Yeah, yeah. 195 is important to be able to hold up physically in the National Football League. At 175, 180, I'm not making the Bryce Young QB1. What I'm holding out on, the tape's done. There's no more tape with Bryce Young. Love the kid, what he did in college, okay? We saw what we saw in college. To hold up physically in the NFL, the height's not important. The weight is. I've never in the history of doing this, Todd, it's 45 years, okay? Uh, 40 at ESPN, about 30 with you. Um, 30. Never worried about a weight of a quarterback. Ever worried about weight of a quarterback. In this particular case, when you're talking about the top five, number one pick overall, maybe, he better be 195 and not 175. Yeah, it is important. Don't act like yeah, a, I can tell you this, Mel. Hey, Mel, that. Mel, you gotta Mel, play, Mel. You got to play 17 games plus the playoffs and hopefully a Super Bowl tie and hold up in the NFL where we see big, strong quarterbacks still getting beat up and, and, and punished and hurt. So don't tell me 175 to 195 is no big deal. Mel, Mel Kuyper Jr., will you listen to me for a second? In October, I was there. I think it was a Mississippi State game. He had just weighed in with his trainers. He was 193, and he said that they are working relentlessly. on. I, I would be shocked if he showed up the combine and was not 200 pounds. So 25 pounds up from the fall. Well, that would hey, be impressive. I, I, huh? Hey, I, you, root, you want that. Exactly. Yeah, of course. That's what you want. And now it can't be man it can't be manufactured, okay? It's gotta be something you maintain from the start of training camp until the end of the season. Now you'll drop a little, but you can't be, like I say, I don't want to see 179, 183, 187. I want to see my number, my critical number is 195. Because Russell Wilson was about 205, 203 coming out, okay? If you're 195 and that's the weight that he he feels comfortable with and he can excel at, then he'll be 200. He'll eventually be 205. He'll grow into that 205 stature, okay? But not 175, 180, 185. No quarterback that size is going to be my QB1. So the weight, first time ever that I can remember weight being that important for a quarterback, it is for Bryce Young. All right, well, keep an eye on the weight for Bryce Young at the Combine. By the way, we have started to get... Many of the uh, pro days for uh, the various top schools and schools that have top prospects around the country. Remember last year, I believe it was, where there were the conflicts where they had to rearrange pro days for a few schools that had top quarterbacks because they all picked them the same day. This year, at least from what I have seen so far, Alabama, Ohio State, and Kentucky are going back to back to back. And that's how, that's how it was a year ago. That's yep. how they, they lined it up. And yep. every, every scout, every GM I talked to in the league, and myself included, loved it. Yep. Travel, yes, it's a nightmare. You've got to bounce from Pittsburgh to Liberty and uh, Ole Miss last year. And, and this year, you just named the, the three places you got to go. But to be able to see a quarterback 
you know, I think it's March 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Correct. Yep. Consecutively. There's something to that. I, I appreciated it. I, I gained a lot from that. Yeah, and it, it, it makes logistics quite a bit easier as well. It's a lot of traveling, but you'd rather have it all happen in a three-day span as opposed to being gone for a full week, especially because that's right after the first wave of free agency, and teams are obviously mm-hmm. still very much doing their homework there. But I bring it up only to mention that uh, all the measurements that we are looking for should be I would say, entered into our system in the next, like, six or seven weeks. So Mel will have all the data points he needs. Todd will have all the data points he needs. And then we are back to watching the tape. And we are back here on First Draft next week. We apologize for missing the show last week. Just a lot going on with the Senior Bowl and those long days of covering those practices and not having this same technology that we normally do every single week here on First Draft. Do not forget to rate and subscribe if you are listening to the audio version wherever you get your podcast. And if you're watching the live stream, it's also available on demand. And we'll see you again next week, 1 p.m. Eastern time. For Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr., I am Field Yates. Looking forward to first draft next week already.